Welcome to podcast number 74. Today's date is November 5th, 2019, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Our guest this week is Bert Hodge. Bert began his career as an investigator after graduating from the Florida State University in 1978 with a degree in criminology. After working in the insurance claims investigation sector for several years, he opened State Investigations Bureau in 1985. His agency conducts a variety of investigations, from record retrievals to backgrounds, interviews, locations, personal injury, and wrongful death investigations. Bert specializes in personal injury and defective product investigations for the plaintiff. He has been a licensed investigator in the state of Florida since 1981, and he has served in a variety of positions in several professional associations. He was a two-term president of the Florida Association of Licensed Investigators and also held board positions for almost 10 years. He served two terms as the national director of the National Association of Legal Investigators after having completed two terms as its Region 3 director. Bert is the recipient of the Al Stone Award for Excellence, presented by the Florida Association of Licensed Investigators. He's also designated Investigator of the Year for 2006 by the Florida Board of Certified Investigators. Bert is a certified legal investigator as well as a certified fraud examiner. He is a member of numerous investigative associations, including FALI, NALI, ACFE, NABI, TALI, NCISS, and ISPLA, as well as Intellinet. It is my pleasure to interview today Bert Hodge. Welcome to My Favorite Detective Stories. My Favorite Detective Stories features successful private investigators. They offer insights into their careers and advice to those just starting out or to those who are struggling. You will learn from the best. Of course, we cannot finish the show without asking them to share their favorite detective story. On alternating weeks, you will hear from crime fiction writers who discuss their latest books and what makes their fictional detectives tick. Throughout my investigative career spanning five decades, I cannot think of a time that I didn't have a good crime novel on my coffee table or bedstand. We will also talk about their favorite authors as well. As a working investigator, coach, and writer, I hope to bring inspiration, information, and entertainment in the areas that interest me most. Gather around my campfire as I invite you to listen in. This episode is brought to you by my recently published books for private investigators. How to launch your private investigation business. How to market your private investigation business. And how to boost your private investigation business. It also appears as a three-book set in How to Rocket Your Private Investigation Business, the complete series. All can be found at your favorite online retailers in ebook or softcover. Did you know that I also coach private investigators how to survive and thrive in business? Visit my website at www.thepicoach.com. That is thepicoach.com to learn more. Hi, Bert. Welcome to the show. Hey, John. How are things on a Friday? Uh, just wonderful. Thank you. It's been a long week for me, uh, but uh, the bills are paid. Got a little money in the bank. Uh, everything works. Nothing hurts. I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> That's encouraging. <laughs> That's encouraging. So, uh, yeah. So how's the life down there in uh, the greater uh, Tallahassee area for you today? Well, we're doing great today. Like I say, it's, it's an afternoon. It's, uh, it's about 85 degrees and overcast here. We've had, you know, a couple of would be hurricanes through here, and uh, so we're, I'm, I'm grateful for no no bad weather. That's it. You're right. Uh, so here in uh, southern, uh, southeastern, or southwestern, excuse me, southwestern 
uh, Connecticut, where I'm calling you today on uh, October 25th. It's a, a beautiful fall day. The leaves are in their uh, splendiferous splendor. And I'm uh, just uh, excited about the, the weekend coming up. I've got some things I'm going to be doing that's a little different. Um, not going to talk about it on the podcast, but uh, going to be catching an airplane uh, this evening. I'm spending the weekend in Detroit or Detroit, depending on where you're from. So so anyhow, uh, Bert, we've known each other, gosh, I, I guess through NALI for many, many years now um, and National Association of Legal Investigators. And I always thought that it would be fun to have you on the podcast to talk about how you got started and what your ideas looked about in the beginning. So um, just going to say that, you know, you got started kind of, kind of as a young man in this business and uh, just kind of tell me how you got started and what the original idea looked like. Well, I... I um went to school at Florida state here in Tallahassee and got a degree in criminology. And a friend of mine that uh, was dating the, my sorority sister of my wife at the time worked, worked for a company. And, uh, when I got out of school, I applied for a couple different jobs and, uh, he said, you know, why don't you come, come to work over here? So I went to work as an insurance claims guy for a few years, uh, got offered a job working with another, uh, with another company, worked for them for a while. And, uh, Started my own business in, in 1985, uh, got licensed in Florida in 1981, and uh, it, it been just kind of picked up on the on the whole insurance side of things in terms of doing the, the work that I was doing on that side and gathered some clients with me. And when I started my own business, just kind of kept them along. And uh, as we were talking off air, you know, I've got I have several clients who've been with me since since the early 80s that are still around. That's fantastic. And uh, when you talk about that, uh, I also came uh, from a criminology background, um, small college in Western Pennsylvania, uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I graduated in 75, so I'm just maybe a few years ahead of you, but um, also got into the claims business too, working for a claims organization, and then uh, also uh, decided to uh, service the uh, insurance industry as in my uh, the first iteration of one of my private investigations businesses. So Tallahassee, if I remember correctly from that map that the, the nuns used to point out all the time, is the state capital of Florida. That is true. All right. So, and also what I've learned over the years is that uh, there is another reason why Florida is called the Sunshine State. So putting that, those two things together, um, if you can just tell me a little bit about how your business morphed from the early days until now, uh, just kind of walk me through the, um, you know, the the life of your company and how how it's grown and changed. Uh, I think our listeners would enjoy hearing this story. Well, in the beginning, you know, Florida is probably the most public has the most public records of any state in the United States. Virtually every record here is 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 available and, and open to the public. And so, as I when I was working for this uh, insurance claims company, we. I would get the occasional call for someone to go pick up a record and, you know, I need a copy of something from the secretary of state's office, a copy of a driving record, copy of a crash report, copy of thing, you know, in, you know, alcohol licenses, those kinds of things. And so, um, as I began to gradually think about starting my own business, it became a question of, you know, can I, can I turn that into a, in, into a business model? And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that Tallahassee has all these, has all this information. And so I figured that, you know, if I could, take that idea and uh, sell that to other investigators and insurance companies and attorneys, then uh, it would be a, it'd be a a good way to start a business because it's a very stable, uh, 
way to do things. It's, it's a very low, uh, low labor, uh, low cost uh, way of doing business. You don't have to, in, you don't have to invest a whole lot of money in, in equipment. And so you just go pick up a record and send it to somebody. And so a lot of my business started out uh, with, cl- with that kind of clientele. It's morphed, of course, since then, but that still composed uh, a pretty good portion of our business is 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 still doing these background type investigations using the records that that are available to us in in in, in Tallahassee. So, and, and the name of your company is State Information Bureau. Right. And uh, was it always State Information Bureau? Yes. It's all right. That, that's been the name we've had all along. So, you know, four decades. Uh, and if I if I have enough fingers, yes. A- <laughs> yes. 80s, 90s, zeros, teens. Yep. Four decades of. Uh, of uh, a brand name, State Information Bureau, staying saying exactly what it is, and your offices are in Tallahassee, Florida, and uh, that tells me that uh, you're where the records are, and that based upon your location and the name of your company, it makes perfectly good sense. And and you said that in the beginning it was you know getting clients to uh, come to you and you would do their records retrieval. This is back in the day before computers. This is back before before online, before the cloud, anything. This was back in the day when um, records had to be gathered manually from the various depositories. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we had, uh, I had some microfish uh, records that were available to us that, you know, from things like the Secretary of State's Office for Corporations and driving records and motor vehicle records on, on microfish. In fact, I have probably just by the by sheer weight, John, probably well over a thousand pounds of uh, of microfish records uh, in my office that uh, we for some reason I can't seem to get rid of them. But uh, yeah, I've got I've got records going back into the 80s of all of the everybody that was issued a driver's license, everybody that was issued a, that all the motor vehicle records for the whole state, all the corporation records, real estate records, a lot of things like that that, that were only available on microfish at the time. Oh, Bert, we're going to have to talk about operating a new subsidiary business. And that is for all those cold case investigators that want to get um, that information that was, lo- you know, that seems to be lost in the digital age in the state of Florida. You got it. Right. Yes. And, and we do. And I do get calls. I mean, I won't say frequently, but uh, I will say I keep most of it stored in a little in, a, in an office that's behind my my physical office. And uh, I'll go out there and dust off the boxes every once in a while. And somebody will ask me to see, you know, can you look and see if this guy had a driver's license in, you know, 1987 and what address was on his record? Or, you know, was there a, a 1976, uh, you know, Corvette uh, registered to John A. Hoda in, you know, in 1982? Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's. That stuff is still there, and sometimes the you know sometimes the problem is is that it doesn't translate. You know, you you take the title number on a on a vehicle that you can find from that long ago, and it doesn't translate anymore because it's so old that it's not in the system anymore. But mm-hmm. you can still there's some things like that old old property records. I I did a case probably six months ago where I was sitting there looking through some microfish from nineteen like ninety two or ninety three for people who you know a property ownership in um, in uh, I think it was Desoto County. And that stuff is is really uh, it's kind of it's the tweener, right? It's 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 be, it's between uh, hard records that might be sitting in in uh, county or state repositories back in the '60s and the '70s and before digital. So it's it's in that format, and that is the is that the only format that it's in? Is in that microfilm? Yes, yes, right. that's the only format it's in now. 
Yeah. So just to, to uh, add to that a little bit, I just pulled out a, one of my junk drawers, a Pro CD, and it was a select phone records from Pro, oh, yeah. Pro CD, 1997. And I've got uh, the, the Northeast and I've got software installation disc. I wonder what the, if the DOS system would even, I, if, I, if I would need a, like a, a 2000 era computer to play this stuff on, you know, but it's a <laughs> CDs, you know, from back in the day. And I'm thinking 19, 1997, I've got um, all the phone records for the United States. And I'm thinking that has to be worth something, you know. It just well, um, I would challenge you to go try to figure out how to use them because <laughs> I literally just opened a box uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, I had a computer guy in here putting a new new computer in my office, which means I can't do anything. So I was going through some old stuff and came across those very CDs just like that. And I asked him about him. He said, the machines that you have today, you can't run them. They, will not, they won't work anymore. Now, huh. You could find somebody who knows what they're doing uh, to be able to write you some kind of program, I suspect. But uh, yeah, they, they don't work. So. Okay. So, but your microfilm or your microfiche does work, and you're able yeah, to it, s- spin the spin the spindles and get the things to whirl and click, and you pull it right to where you need it to be. Uh, no, it's, this is actually on. These are actually on pieces of fish. So, I mean, on on uh, like they're like five, three, uh, three, three by, by five, five cards. cards oh things. boy! So you got I've got I've got this giant machine that sits out there in the in the back office that is uh that you just slide it in and and can read right off of it so right. and occasionally it'll even make a copy of it if you want to so and and the thing that uh i kind of like to talk when I, when i'm selling uh records retrieval to or information um being an information seller or finder i i, I I'm, I'm trying to be careful with my language uh is that i remember how it used to be and how these records were aggregated and how they were how they were in hard copy and how they then became digitized so you have that wealth of information as well as how these records come to be so if somebody's doing a garbage in garbage out search you're going to pick up on that right away and you're going to be able to tease the system a little differently because you know how this stuff is aggregated and you're able to get this information uh a little bit better than the average bear who might just assign a, a paralegal or a clerk to do the work and oh no record no record well then how does bert get the record because well, he knows how it was generated in the first place do i understand that right yeah and i think that's you know that's the the interesting thing about that comment john is that i think a lot of times uh, particularly younger investigators don't don't grasp that they don't have the they they have not been in the business long enough to understand that it's that it's more than just what you know you type it into a database and it pops up that that's it mm-hmm. that's all there is right um, but I think have I think the, the, those of us who've been in the business for a long time appreciate that mm-hmm. but at the same time have this I have this understanding of where did these where did this stuff come from and how much can I trust the source mm-hmm. uh, because there are I mean I, there, there's a. I, I gave a presentation a couple of weeks ago um, for the Florida Association of Licensed Investigators down in um, in St. Petersburg, and one of the points I was making is um, is that if you if you order you can order what is called a certified complete driving history in the state of Florida, which is the the record that, that the person has for the previous uh, 11 years it says so on the record it says oh, this this record is 11 year record, but what it doesn't tell you is all of the things that are allowed to drop off in that time period. Mm-hmm. So you may see that there is, there's literally a packet. I, have, I, I took it to this presentation and showed it to these people. It's like, it's like 40 pages of how long various things stay on your record. So you may see somebody with a record that has nothing on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it says it's an 11-year record, and yet those people, that person may have 12 speeding tickets. 
Now, they're not going to have certain things like DUIs stay on there for 75 years, for instance. But but knowing that, so when I when a client comes to me and says, I need a copy of this guy's driving record, I can say, what is it that you're looking for? What do you want to know? Right. Because depending on what you want to know, this may or may not be what you want. You may not really want that. You may need somebody to literally go to the courthouse where this guy has lived and pull actual tickets because that speeding ticket that he got in 2015 is not going to be on that certified complete driving history. You got, and that's the certified complete driving history. Right. That, that's so funny, you know, that, and in, in the state of Connecticut, uh, just, just by way of counterpoint, um, state police criminal uh, history check. Well, as you said, things drop off, Right. Well, uh, another fellow, uh, um, uh, I don't know, a dozen years ago, maybe uh, 20 years ago, decided to start archiving um, the state police records through a freedom of information request. Well, in his database, it doesn't drop off. So you might be asking me about Joe Jablotnik and what, what his criminal record is. If I just went through the state police records check, I might show something that's happened recently of a felony nature, up to seven years, misdemeanors within the last seven, but some cases that were um, where they, they served their time and by law, the cases were nollied. This other information might still be available through an archival process showing that, you know, that the arrest took place on these days. Here's what the charges were. Here was a, here was a sentence. So a, a state police check for criminal records might show n- a negative uh, arrest history. And yet uh, by knowing how this stuff is aggregated and knowing who else had this information, I go to a secondary source and I'm able to find those records. Now, what do those records mean? Well, they, I can go to the, the town where the arrest occurred. I can get an actual police report from those records. And in that police report, I can get uh, driver's information, uh, motor vehicle information. I can get associates. I can get aliases. I can get uh, any other type of information, which can expand my my background check on that individual. But had I, had I relied just on the state police uh, records check, uh, then I would, I would, I, I could return a, a, a no bill back to them saying, oh, it's, there's nothing there. And, and thank you very much. I, and you, I charge you, you know, whatever for that rec- records check, but it's not complete. And, and to your point, Bert, it's that you're, you know, how the records are aggregated. You know, where that information is, you know, uh, what is removed, what is n- no longer there, but you know where uh, it was and had been previously. So that's, that's huge. So I, I think our little conversation now, for about five, six minutes about this, you know, is more tactical about records retrieval, but it really speaks towards your business in that uh, you establish yourself in Florida as the go-to guy. But not only that, you, you establish yourself throughout the country as the go-to guy because uh, you're not satisfied with uh, the answer that might come up from a records check that that you know where the, the information might reside elsewhere and you're able to find that information and you're really giving the clients what they need as opposed to what they want. Is that a nice way of saying it? Yes, it is, and I think that's and it's one of the one of the frustrations I think John from my perspective is that trying to get the client to understand that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think we all, regardless of what we do uh, in, in terms of what our business looks like, I think that's true to a certain extent. But I think more so for the, the, the side of my business that deals with records is that, you know, the, the what is it that you do? You know, I, I have clients that I've had for 10, 20 years who use me to do one specific thing. And uh, in, in fact, probably 
within the last six months, I had a conversation with one of the attorneys I've worked for for literally probably 20 years who's used me over the years regularly to do things. And then he had a case in Tallahassee and he called me and he asked me, you know, some, some questions. I said, you know, yeah, that's, that's what I do. I do those. I do, I do this kind of stuff. Well, I didn't know that. I said, well, you probably <laughs> didn't know about this or this, or in other words, I just, that's kind of the frustration I feel at times is that there are things that I do and records that are available and, and cases that I handle that my clients aren't aware of because they see this, they see me simply um, on one level as somebody who retrieves records. Mm-hmm. And, and it and it frustrates me at times because of that because it's like you know if if you if you give me five minutes we'll we'll have a conversation about this that and the other thing and usually I end up having that conversation but at times it does it does get um, rather narrow mind some of my clients are rather narrow minded with respect to mm-hmm. that particular particularly you know I, I think particularly other investigators uh, that I that I do work for because that 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 comprises a fair amount of my business is other other folks who do what I do. Mm-hmm. Other investigators, and that's and that's an important business model that you have. Not only do you have direct clients, but you're getting uh, your you have a, a, a not a feeder system, but you have uh, other private investigators that know that they can uh, give their client uh, a better product by uh, asking you to do the search for them. Now, uh, to that point, uh, but then you have to have that conversation with the private investigator as to what their client's needs were. And many times they haven't had that conversation. They're, they're just uh, acting almost as a pass-through from here is what they say they want. Bert, can you get us what they want? And you have to go back to the investigator and say, well, what do they really need? <laughs> and sometimes they no, don't and, know. And, and, and that, is, that has led, in fact, I have a case on my desk right now that, that started out as a very simple request for a, a title history on a, on a vehicle that was involved in a traffic fatality in Central Florida. And an, another investigator that I've worked with for 30 years calls me up and says, can you do this? And so I did it. I got it back to him. We had a f- discussion about what there, there was. Some, it's a date issue is what it is. And so we had a discussion about that. And he said, look, this is this is this case is bigger than I thought it was originally. Let me put you in touch with this attorney. So I then took my, the information, emailed it to the attorney, and said, you know, I, I was I was asked to give you a call on this case. Here's what I here's who I am. Here's what I do. Give me a call. And this the, the case has turned into be quite a quite a lot of work, based solely upon this one referral from a, from another investigator who basically said, you know, I was asked to do one thing but quickly realized that there was a whole lot more to this that you, Bert, can handle uh, for my client, and it's much easier for me just to deal, to have you deal directly with the client. And I think what you're saying, and for our listeners' benefit, is that we can be assignment takers or we can be investigative partners. And I, I would rather think oh, yeah. of myself as being an investigative partner, quite frankly. And, uh, and, and in that respect, uh, the difference is an assignment taker, do what, they, do what they say to do, stay within the four corners of the parameter of the investigative objective, and return a quality product to them as quickly as possible. That, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You can make a nice, comfortable living doing that. But by asking the client, well, what do you need this for? Or now that I have this information, how does that play into your overall case? And does this prompt you to want to search for additional information? I mean, am I being straightforward and telling you that backwards? 
Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. And I, I think that in, at least in my business, I have a, there are a certain percentage of my clients that I know what they're doing. I know who their client is. For instance, I, I work for a very large law firm in South Florida whose clients are a grocery store chain. Okay. So when they call me, I know what the case is. It is a slip and fall in their facility. They, they will send me, a, they, they send me a request. I want you to do one, two, three, four, and it pertains to this lost date at this location. So I know what the case is about. Mm-hmm. So I can then do my routine work for them and, and send it back. And it's, oh, it's done. If I see something during the course of that, of that, that looks hinky, strange, crazy, whatever, it, I, whatever I term I choose to apply, I can go to them and say, do you want to do this, this, and this? Yes. No, and a lot of times they don't. I know. But, a lot, but every once in a while they will say, yes. You know, I get a guy who's only been in Florida for five years and I know he came from Montana. Well, I'm going to tell the client, look, this guy's only been here for five years. Here's what he's done in the first five years in, in Florida. Do you want to go back and look at these records where he came from, where he previously lived in Montana? Mm-hmm. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Again, if the exposure right. is low, then they don't. Th- then it's not a big deal. Right. If the exposure is great, then the answer is yes. Absolutely. Um, they want to know if you I, have a professional uh, slip and faller on their on your right. hands. And I and I and I have a, a lot of of clients that. The work is very, I shouldn't say very, the work is fairly routine. It is mm-hmm. do these three or four things on this case, but there's enough volume there and there's enough understanding between uh, myself and that client that if we see something that looks suspicious, then we'll let them know. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Melanie, who's the other investigator in the office, working on something the other day, and the guy had 18 car accidents in the last six years. Oh, what a unlucky well, fellow. So, well, and they were all rear-end collisions, <laughs> curiously. So it was one of those things, it's like, you know, she you know, she comes to me and says, okay, no, so what, what do we do here? So, I mean, I, I wrote, we, you know, we did, we did the re- report and we wrote a note. Here is what we would suggest you do. You know, he's only been here for 10 years and he, you know, this guy's got a, a, a whole stretch of bad luck. Let's, you know, here are some other things that we would propose that you do. Right. And in that case, Bert, I think, or not that case, but in those kind of cases, you said that there's some things that are just routine. And I want to say to you, uh, to you, they're routine, uh, to a novice investigator or somebody new uh, who hasn't uh, been through these kind of cases, there can be some uh, not getting the information right, not interpreting the information right. But but more to the point, the reason they become routine for you is that you, you've seen so many different variations on it that you know what you're seeing and more importantly, what you're not seeing. And then the second part about it is you also, I think, bring to the table a a best practices approach to gathering this information so that your clients are getting the absolute best answer that they can get when they call BERT at the State Information Bureau. And uh, they're getting that knowing that it might be routine for you, but you've honed your practices over the years and you know how to search it, that you know exactly what their what their what their wants and needs are and that and that you're able to give that to them in a in a fairly um, attractive price. Uh, Do you flat rate any of your stuff, Bert? I I don't even know. I apologize. Uh, I don't. It ends up that a, a lot of the stuff that I do ends up being a flat rate. But mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't it, advertise yeah. it as a flat rate. I advertise it as an hourly rate. But you know, if you if you ask for, in other words, if you want a copy of a driving record, I'm going to tell you it's a quarter of an hour. I, you know, it's not literally how much time it takes me to get it. It's a quarter of an hour. Um, certain kinds of research, I, I do kind of, you know, this is going to take me a half an hour to do. Now, if it takes me 18 minutes or if it takes me 73 minutes, it's still, I, I bill it at a half an hour. So it uh, sounds like you're maybe establishing 
establishing a budget with your clients so that yes, you know, so that and, they, and most they know. most of them have that. I mean, I, I do not. Except with new clients, I don't ever tell them what it's going to cost them. Okay. I mean, if somebody calls me up and says, you know, well, I shouldn't say that. If you if you send me an email saying I want to do these things, which which is the way I get. In fact, while I'm sitting here, I've gotten two emails from a client that I again I've dealt with for 30 years, and he's asking me for certain pieces of information. He knows roughly what that's going to cost. Right. Now, if I go back to him and I say, Hey, Brandon. What I see here tells me that you probably need to go to Thomasville, Georgia, and uh, you know Tuscaloosa, Alabama, to do these things on this case. Then I'm going to go to him and I'm going to say he's going to tell me, "Give me a budget," mm-hmm. and then I'm going to call whoever I use in those various places and I'm going to say, "Give me a budget," and I'm going to I'm going to go back to him and say, "This is going to cost you between you know right. five hundred and seven hundred and fifty dollars to do these two things." Well, and that brings up a very interesting point too. Besides, you know, giving a budget, you're you're basically saying, uh, client, you asked me to do one, two, and three. It turns out that one, two, and three can be done, but three really requires you to do A, B, and C, which might be out of state. You know, uh, investigators doing a poll for you, and then and then you go back to them and exp- and and you expand the original assignment to include um, not only the original work but also uh, the amount that has to be factored in to do uh, the A, B, and C, and that becomes, you know, the overall budget. But, you know, again, to your point, you've been doing this for so long, you now have trusted associates throughout the country that you can pick up a phone or email and say, hey, it's Bert, you know, everybody knows Bert. And uh, then, and you've kicked their tires. So, you know, the good people from the fly-by-nighters and most of the time, I mean, there's occasionally you have to go to some podunk place that, you know, you don't know oh, yeah. who's going to be there, but you know, somebody in that state association that with a phone call can get you to somebody that can, that works in podunk. So it's not, you might not just reach into podunk directly. You might go through a state association uh, president or uh, someone that you know and trust to give you that referral so that you get that done. So, but that's the other thing about your organization too, Bert, I think that is, is important that um, you talk to me a little bit about not really marketing or advertising, but here is um, one one of the things that you do very, very well, and that is network. And through the organizations that you belong to, you talk to a lot of people, and both on a national organization as well as uh, regional uh, and state. So if you just tell me a little bit about those organizations that you belong to and, and how you were involved with them over the years, then my listeners can get an idea of how, how people know when you say Bert, Bert Hodge, they know exactly who that is and they know exactly that your state information bureau down in Tallahassee. So just t- kind of tell me about the organizations that you became a part of over the years and, and how that networking has grown to the, to, to include uh, a steady um, business for you, uh, not only of, of uh, referrals to you, but also how you can reach out to other people in other parts of the country and get the job done to your client satisfaction. Well, I think there, there's there's two components to the, to this, and one. But before I get into the to discussing the association component to this, I, the the other side of this is there's there's a a certain rapport that I've developed with other investigators because I use them to do work and thus that that brings them back to me. So for instance I got I get cases in Orange County, California. Uh, I've got a guy out there who does the research for me and sends me what I need. Now, if he needs something in Florida, doesn't matter where it is in Florida. He doesn't do work in Florida. 
So he's going to call me and say, A, can you do this? Or B, send me to somebody who can do it for me. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that is very beneficial for me. I mean, I can't tell you how much revenue I generate over the course of a year from people that I've developed these relationships with around the country because I send them work and they send me work and we trade stuff back and forth. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the next, and the next phone call is from the guy in Orange County's friend up in Sacramento who said, hey, man, I've got something in Florida. Who do you use? Well, he only knows one guy in Florida because he doesn't do work in Florida. So right. uh, a lot of that, that's, that's a big part of what I do. Um, that, that's a big, that's a way that my business maintains itself. But to come to the association thing, I think, you know, associations, I've, I've been involved in a number of associations uh, over the years of the Florida Association of Licensed Investigators, uh, National Association of Legal Investigators, NCISS, uh, Texas Association of Licensed Investigators, uh, IntelNet. Um, all of those associations bring a number of things to the table when, it, when, when, I, when I talk about the benefits for me personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. Is It gives you this opportunity to, to physically meet people at various at meetings around the country, uh, around the world. You, know, you, you get to shake hands with somebody, sit down with somebody, and, and that gives you an, an, an opportunity to evaluate who they are. Right. That, that used to be the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, again, you and I have been in this business a long time. When we first started, that that was it. You know, now you can go on the Internet and type in, you know, need an investigator in Podunk, Wisconsin, and you'll get 12 responses. Well, yeah. who are those 12 responses from? I don't know. Right. Uh, again, I think a lot of people, particularly newer people of the business, are going to take the first guy who says I can do it and give it to him. Absolutely. Uh, and what a mistake. Not, yes, exactly. Not, and what a mistake, because as I said earlier, I would rather contact uh, Bert in Tallahassee if I need something down or, uh, uh, oh, gosh. Roy, uh, Roy Pierce. Remember Roy down in, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Roy down in the Southern part of the state. And then I, I don't know anybody in, in Orlando right now. Oh, I do. I know somebody in Orlando just recently, but you know, you would be my three calls, you know, depending on the, you know, the top, middle or bottom of the state. Then there, then there's a matter of expertise. Who has the expertise that needs, I need to have the job done right. So then I might call Bert and say, Hey, Bert, you know, we talked, we were in a, we were in a class together at a Nally conference where we talked about a railroad accident. And I want to, I, I need a guy that can help me out in, in, uh, in, uh, uh, Dundee, Florida, uh, on a, uh, on a, on a railroad case. Well, you, you're going to know within a phone call or two of who that person's going to be. Right. But if I just type in <laughs> Dundee, Florida, private investigator, I might get a guy that does nothing but just process service right. or, or, or it's just exclusively does insurance surveillance work. And they're not going to know anything about, you know, uh, railroad cases. So, I mean, to, to your point, I think the networking is an integral part of any investigator's uh, background and ability to, to sell his or her uh, abilities to a client by saying, and not only am I an expert in this, this, and this, but I belong to two or three national organizations where I can, within a phone call, get information anywhere in the country or even outside of the country. Right. Right. And that's, that's very valuable to clients mm-hmm. um, because a lot of the, the, you know, the, the attorneys that I do work for, that is, they don't, they're not interested in the mechanics of getting a certified copy of an arrest and conviction in Bozeman, Montana. That's not relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that that's valuable to me because 
I may need some something in Bozeman six months from now. So right. it's it's it benefits me for, uh, to be able to tell that client I can get this for you. It benefits the guy in Bozeman, Montana, because I, he's going to get paid by me one time, and he may get paid again because. He's going to, anytime I need something in Bozeman, if he does it right, he's going to get a call from me. And it may benefit me in the future because he may call me. And it's certainly going to benefit me because I can take that bill that I get from Bozeman, Montana, add a couple bucks to it, and that goes to my client. Then the next time my client needs something in, you know, Des Moines, Iowa, who's he going to think of? Mm-hmm. He's not going to try to find somebody in Des Moines, Iowa. He's going to be satisfied that 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 I managed to give him a, a person to take care of this case for him in in Bozeman. So certainly, Bert can do that in in Des Moines, Iowa. Yeah. So that's you know, the an association has many benefits in my opinion, but the networking opportunities there are, are primary to me based upon what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. Now, I think there are a lot of investigators who have very limited need for somebody outside of their physical area. Okay. It, it doesn't it doesn't happen to them all the time. And and I I have over the years developed this relationship with a lot of investigators particularly in Florida who that's what they do. All they do is let's just say surveillance in, you know, Citrus County. Mm-hmm. So they don't know, you know, if they need somebody if a client calls them and says I need some surveillance in Escambia County, what are they going to do? Right. Uh, so I get calls like that from uh, particularly from other investigators that say you know, who can you refer me to in Escambia County? And I'm, you know, I'm not going to make any money off of that here. Call Joe, Joe Hunkus, you know, right. because again, the guy in Citrus County is going to call me next time he has that need. The guy in Escambia County got a referral that had my name on the referral. Mm-hmm. Now he's going to, Hey, appreciate the help. And by the way, can you help me on this thing? Or I need somebody in Citrus County now. So it, it's, it's it's taken many years to get to that point, but there's there's a network of people around the country that I regularly call on. I mean, it, not a day goes by that I do not refer at least one case to somebody else across the country. And you know, to your point, this was a, this was an exact example of what we had. And I don't know if you remember it, but it was around uh, September of last year. Uh, I had a request from a longtime client to do uh, an insurance defense surveillance. And part of the issue was that the uh, claimant was not, we could not find the residence of the claimant in Connecticut. We had tried to locate this person, a physical address, and we had missed him by two months, literally two months at the last address that he was at. So we thought possibly he might be couch surfing with a girlfriend and hadn't landed yet. Well, turns out he goes to uh, his, uh, to the, to the uh, insurance company lawyer's deposition and he states an address during the deposition that he said he's living at. Now, we knew this address and we knew this was mom's address. So we said, okay, fine, we'll go. While, during the deposition, we go to mom's address and we talked to the neighbors and found out that when mom moved to the assisted living home, the son came up from Florida to assist her with her move and to help her, you know, get uh, uh, into the new place. And and she was renting there, so it wasn't even an ownership. It was just, you know, moving out. And, uh, but we knew that he did not live there at that address. Now, this is a, an address that he, he swore on a, on a Bible during right. his deposition that he lived at. Right. So the, the fun part about this is, is that at the end of the deposition, he leaves the deposition and we follow him on a meandering trip from the deposition to the, the air, airport in, 
in, uh, in it's called Bradley International Airport, north of Hartford. And he gets on an airplane. And you'll never guess, but the, the, the insurance company's national lawyer was on that same, uh, in that same gate. And, and saw him and saw what air, airplane he got on and saw that he was going to a uh, uh, an airport, I want to say Jacksonville or something like that. Florida, we had a very obscure address in one of our databases for a post office box down in, I'm going to use Citrus County, just as an example. And I called my friend Bert up and I said, Bert, <laughs> do you know any good surveillance people down in Citrus County? We got this P.O. box and we think we can develop this into a better address and what have you. And you told me, of course, that, you know, you try this person. And I said, OK, I will. So I went back to the client and I made a direct referral based upon your recommendation between the client and the um the uh, surveillance guy down in Citrus County. Now, I don't know what county is. I'm just making it up. Citrus County. Well, don't you know that this guy that had terrible balance problems and he had trouble walking and I, you know, I think he had assistants walking into the, uh, in and out of the deposition, you know, uh, terrible, terrible, terrible balance problems. About two weeks later, he was up on climbing ladders and roofing. Right. So obviously you knew that. And what what, and what did he say during his deposition about what he couldn't do and what he can't do and what, you know, all those things. Right. So needless to say, uh, although my surveillance did not uncover the uh, physical address in Connecticut, what did it end up doing? It ended up giving us the uh, the fact that he was getting on an airplane and leaving the area that afternoon, right after the deposition, just turns out that it's in the same gate as the uh, as the uh, the national uh, insurance company's uh, general counsel who sees the guy that he had been sitting across the deposition table from, you know, for five hours, uh, and, and is able That's to, de- karma, baby. yeah. And is able to determine what, uh, what, what airport he went to you. I don't know anybody in citrus. You do. And this is how it gets done. Now, yep. a, a month, not month, a year later, I see that, uh, I see the local attorney that I did work for. And I said, Hey, how you doing? He says, Oh, I'm doing good. He says, that was a great case you had. And that was fantastic how you were able to get that information. Well, where am I at when he tells me this story? He's in a, we're at a lawyer's meeting or association meeting of, uh, of lawyers that do this type of work. And he is sitting at a table with an, a bunch of other lawyers. I'm sitting there at the table with him and he is regaling these other lawyers about the great job that we did you know, me, you, and, and the guy in Citrus County, and these other lawyers are looking at me, well, you think I'm going to be a dummy? I'm, I collected business cards. I contacted them, and some work has come as a result of it. But that's, you don't need to, to be a very sophisticated marketer. Or you don't have to do a lot of advertising to, to just um, do good work, have uh, a network that you can rely upon, and uh, help your clients with their needs and, and turn their wants into very specific about what their ne- actual needs are. Now, I know well, I went, and that's, see, and that's the best kind of advertising is that attorney making that comment. Oh, you can't. That, that's, yeah. that's the way that, that, that's the best way to build a business because you come with, there's no trepidation on the part of the client to use you. Mm-hmm. You, you come with a set of credentials uh, that are, that are already there. I mean, because there's no, in this business, you know, your, your, your credentials are your, are, are, are your, are your performance. You're, you know, you can have a you can have a degree. You know, an engineer can have a degree, and that that is his credential, and that tells you certain things about him. But in this business, your credentials are are, are your performance. Right. Uh, yeah. So you know, having somebody 
reinforce your ability, you know, reinforce what you do for them and, and recommending you in a situation like that, that's the best kind of marketing that you can get. And that's, that's really what, what, how I have, uh, encouraged my clients to do that. And, you know, I, the, the advantage that, again, of being in business, as long as I have, a lot of times you get these law firms that, you know, they'll break up. Uh, and so you get, you know, you, now, you, now you, now you work for two firms and mm-hmm. then the paralegal goes to a third firm and now you work for three firms. And, right. uh, I, I, that's, that's, I've got, I, I should at some point in time build some kind of a uh, family tree of, of some of these clients that I've had where, the, you know, the paralegals have gone and this, you know, this, this, this situation, you know, how, how it branches out from there. And some of the, some of the folks I've worked for, for as long as I have. Now, to your point about a family tree, uh, I actually use a software called iThoughts X. It used to be called iThoughts HD, and now it's called iThoughts X. And it gives you a genogram opportunity. So let's just say um, you go to a, uh, a lawyer's association meeting and you pick up a half a dozen business cards and you talk to those people and they become a couple of them become clients. Well, you put those names in the ge- in the genogram as being uh, leads, uh, prospects or customers. I know that's a little bit, you know, a little, not, not it's not a lot of work. It's something that you can do. Yeah. But then then you see how, like you just said, how the people in that firm uh, use you. So there's four more names under lawyer A. Then the paralegal moves to uh, lawyer Z, you know, and then and you can build the family tree, just like you said, before you know it, it all traces back to that to that one meeting you went to. And you think, my gosh, uh, look how much money I made from just showing up at a meeting or yep. look, look how much money I, I made showing up at a uh, at the 19 or I shouldn't say 19, the uh, 20. 2014 Nally conference, you know, or you know, 17 in uh, the 17 was the uh, 50th down in Alexandria. So right, that would be right. a perfect example. Um, and and to, to me, uh, I, I never really appreciated as much the value of networking when I was a younger guy. I just said, my work speaks for itself. Uh, you know, people are going to come to me. No, no, yeah, no. no. I, I, and I learned the hard way that, you know, by exchanging business cards, talking to people, you know, uh, at the bar afterwards, or, you know, as soon as the session ha- ends, talk to the presenters um, or the panelists, you know, and cha- change names, exchange names, put an email back and forth to each other. Hey, it was gl- I'm glad seeing you. You know, if you ever need anything in Connecticut, you know, whatever. And boy, what I've, I've learned that so much, Bert. So I've taken a page, I guess, from your book a little bit about networking and, and how that can work. Now, you mentioned Tally, uh, which is a Texas Association of Legal Investigators, and you're in Florida. Now, are you part of the super group of uh, Cali, Tally, and Fally, where it's Fa- Florida Association of Legal Investigators, yeah. Tally, yes. ta- um, Texas Association of Legal Investigators, and Cali, Connecticut Association of Legal Investigators? Can you just talk about that a little bit? Because that, that was a very interesting and unique uh, way that these organizations are leveraging their their state association but becoming a super regional for lack of a better word yeah well what what uh, actually it was Tim I believe it was Tim O'Rourke the president of Fally at the time got together with the presidents of uh, California Association and the Texas Association and they got this idea that you know these are the three biggest states where there are uh, of license uh, where there were investigators around uh, largest numbers I guess right. to say it succinctly 
and we would form you know we'd form this kind of if you will super association where if you were a member if you were a member of the status of your state association you could join these other two associations at a reduced rate and become an associate member so to speak mm-hmm. uh, and, and the with the idea of simply referrals i mean sure. I, I refer business back and forth with texas quite frequently i mean i, I would say at least at least once a month i'm sending something to somebody out in, in texas cuz a lot of again those are the three most populous states they're the three the, the the transient population of the world uh, seems to land in one of those three states at, one, <laughs> at, at some point in their career, and so you, you have a lot of people moving back and forth between those things. And so the idea was is to get this association together so that uh, investigators in California could find somebody in Texas, could find somebody in Florida, and vice versa, all you know, all mixed together. So. Uh, it's a really good idea, you know, because it allows you to, to again access these in- investigators that you know you may not know anybody in Stockton, California, but you can know that there's a Cali member in Stockton, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't happen to know anybody, then you know there's there's somebody to call. Um, you know, I I, I have I, I use kind of a modified version of that in that you know I, being being around a long time, I've I've developed a relationship with a number of people in California, and I'll just simply say you know. Send send a note to George and say, George, you know, I, I know you're not in Stockton, but do you know anybody in Stockton? Here are the two names of the guys that are up there. Do you know either one of these guys? And you know, sometimes I'll get back. I know I don't. Sometimes I get back. Uh, yeah, sure. Or sometimes I get back. Well, he's not a member of Cali, but here's a good guy to call. So, and was were you thinking George Newman when you said George? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So here it is. I'm. You know, I know George too as well in California. He and I have traded back and forth. Just by mentioning a first name, I know who you mean. Now, I've never met George personally, but by by work and reputation, I know who you mean. And this is something that is just such uh, an important thing for, I think, uh, inv- investigators that are starting out their businesses or are beginning their businesses is they have to understand that the, the more they can expand their reach, the more they can help their clients. And the worst thing that I think a new investigator or a uh, an investigator that's getting trouble, you know, getting their, under their feet is saying to a potential client, oh, I don't do that kind of work or oh, yeah. I don't can't do that. that. I can't do that. Uh, or I don't do that. You know, the answer is, uh, I, I will, I will get a solution for you. Now, the way that solution works is that you either, you go, you find out the person that can do that for that client. It, and if you don't do that type of work, you now are learning about something and you now learned about somebody that does do that side of work. You, you don't, you don't become a lesser person in anybody's eyes by knowing other people that do, be, that do things differently than you do. You actually become well, better. Yeah. Right, because because the reverse works uh, equally as effectively in terms of uh, in terms of building your business. If that if that meeting if that that meeting where where the attorney spoke highly of you and your ability to take care of his case, if had you not been there and had you failed or had you had you made some grievous error and not done the case correctly, that conversation would not would have been the opposite, and those other other attorneys might not have called you. Oh, absolutely. So I think that that's also I mean. I think that the the biggest the, one of the biggest issues I have with with folks who do what I do, and I, 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 it's not as common as it used to be. But I mean, you know, you used to open up the yellow pages and you'd see, you know, an ad for Tom Jones Investigations, and this dude did everything under the sun. Right. You know, child custody and computer forensics and mm-hmm. and surveillance and uh, you know aircraft theft. You know, he did everything. <laughs> well, you know better. You you and I know better than that's than right. That. Yeah. Um, particularly if you know it's a one or two man operation. Absolutely. So I, 
I think that's a show of maturity in this business is is to say, tell a client, look, this is not what I'm. I don't. I know what I'm talking about, but this is not the kind of case that I deal with regularly. So let me. And then, depending mm-hmm. on who you are and what your relationship is, how do you solve that problem? Right. You know, do I know somebody that does that that I can give you a direct referral to? Can I tell you what you know? Can if it's if it's something is you know, I, I had a traffic homicide case years ago where, you know, the client sat down with me and we've, it was, a uh, we started looking through the, the, the photographs of the, on the, of the crash scene. And it was clear to me that, um, this was a mitigation case. It was a, it was a represent a bad representation case where the guy had been convicted and in spent 20 years in prison. And I went and looked at the case and it's like, you know, this, this case did not happen like he said it did. Mm. It's evident to me from the photographs that I've looked at traffic homicide photographs for 30 years. And I know what I'm looking at and I know this is not what, what happened. Now I can't prove that in a court of law, right? but I know a, a a reconstructionist who can. Right. So we brought in a guy who's, he's a private investigator and, but he, but he has a background in traffic homicide investigations that is much more expansive than mine. And he went through, we did all the, we did the reconstruction on it and showed that the the events that led to the conviction of the client were not the way that it happened. Wow. So something as simple as that. And so again, that there, there were, there's a benefit to me. There's Mm -hmm. a benefit to the attorney. There's a benefit to the reconstructionist. Now who's the reconstructionist going to call next time he needs something? Who's this attorney going to call next time they need something? Who can I call next time I need a reconstructionist? So it's, it's, it's a, symbiotic relationship that you develop with with experts with attorneys with other investigators that benefits everybody right. and the, and the best way to establish that is to sit across the table from them and have have a meal or sit next to them at a, at a conference or have a drink after you know after the conference is over or sit outside and have a cigar mm-hmm. you know that that's how that that's how those relationships develop and those that only happens in a professional setting of a, of, of a conference or or some kind of a local meeting of your state association, because let's face it, uh, we work in a very weird environment in that our relationship with other investigators, we don't, you know, we're not working in an office with 27 people. Most of us are working in very small offices with some, many of us by ourselves. um, And some of us with two people, three people, you know, and that, and so the, the, the networking opportunities and the social experiences that go on at a, at a conference are, are very valuable to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just to kind of sum up at this point, you talked about how uh, your networking and your um, and showing up at associations has given you um, an opportunity to cement relationships nationally as well as regionally and statewide. It also has given you a chance to uh, grow your customer base, uh, not only by private investigators, but by working directly for um, clients that are brought to you by the other peoples in these associations. Uh, and the thing that I thought was most interesting, what you said before we even got on um, recording, was that by being in Tallahassee and dealing with information in the Sunshine State, it was like you were selling cotton candy at the gates of Disney World. I thought that I thought that was wonderful, and uh, and that's true. I mean, if you think about it, you decided, uh, or it was decided for you. No, no, you found out. You found out what the needs were, and you didn't try to be a hammer uh, that in search of a nail. Um, the screws were coming to you, and you and you became a screwdriver. Now, is that a nice way of saying it in a little different way? Yeah, I, and I think at the time to kind of expand that a little bit further. I think at the time a lot of people did were unaware of what is here. 
They don't know. And I think even to this day, I, th- I think that many clients do not uh, don't know what's here. Other investigators don't know what is here. They don't understand that everybody who sells cars for a living has got to have a you know got to have a used car license. And what's in that licensure file? Who owns the who owns the business? Who is the is the property leased or owned? Mm-hmm. How many cars do you sell? What is your tax ID number? Do you have any partners? Where do you do your banking? All all those things are part of the file. Right, and so, then also complaints. Right, complaints yeah. against your license. Right. Um, I did a I did a dram shop case not too long ago for for a very large case here in Tallahassee. We ended up winning, uh, I forget what it was, seven seventeen million dollars, I think. Wow. And part my one of the roles that I served in the case. I mean, I, I worked I worked a lot of components to this case because it was a local case. So I did everything from you know photographing the vehicle to witness statements to you know re, to the to bringing working with a reconstructionist to aerial photographs the whole nine yards. But those are things that people don't think about. So we go you know we're looking at the complaints. You know who's at this particular restaurant, at the particular bar, and so I'm able to read between the lines, so to speak, and locate some some people who used to work there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we could take statements from and uh, and talk to the to the uh, to the inspector that did the inspection that w- that was just prior to this uh, to this accident. So he was able to identify some people for me as, you know, I gave I, I, I talked to him. You know, here's here are six or seven people that I've discerned work at this location. You know, which one of these guys is the manager? Is, is one of these guys the manager? And you know, here, oh yeah, but this guy doesn't work there anymore. Or you know, there's also there's a guy named you know John Hoda that doesn't work there anymore, but he left six months ago, and now he works over here at the you know La Petite Cafe. Well, guess what? That's a guy I want to go talk to. That's so, right. Absolutely. Those are things yeah. that people, you know, that you don't think about when somebody assigns you a particular kind of case. And as, like I said earlier on in this thing, that's part of the frustration is, is not, you know, not being able to, how do I convey that to you? How do I, how do I sit down with you? Because the, the, a lot of clients, I mean, you probably more so than I, a client will give, will give you a case and say, there are, here are the 27 things I need you to do. I oftentimes will get a case where the, the, the case I'm working on right now, traffic fatality in Orlando. Well, there's no, I, I, I'm not working all that. I'm not taking statements. I'm not doing the photographs. I'm not doing anything except this tiny little part of this case. So I don't know a lot of, I mean, in this particular case, I've learned more as the case has gone on. So as, as I've learned more, my role in the case has expanded. Right. A lot of times I don't, you don't get that opportunity. And I think that's, again, that's another thing in, in talking to another, in, in talking to a, another investigator, what, what you need to be doing as an investigator is saying, what other things are out there? The client is asking me to do these three things. Well, does he not know that we can do step four and step five and step six? Right. And I think Which, a lot of times the answer is they don't know. No. And that's they the thing. They don't know what's out there. And I think it goes back to what we said earlier about are you an assignment taker or are you an investigative partner? Right. Exactly. And, and I think that if you approach uh, the client as uh, engaging in an investigative partnership, it's the beginning of a partnership. I mean, nothing, but you have to start somewhere. And, right. and it's like, okay, I can take your assignment or I can get you what you need. And in that way, I think you find out you know exactly how invested they are in the outcome. If right. if they're just simply looking to paper their file, uh, then you say thank you very much. I'll take care of it for you. I'll do A, B, and C. Get it out the door. Bill it for them, and they're happy. Um, maybe at some point in time they may become more interested in knowing that you could have gotten D, C, and uh, D, E, and F. Right. But but for the time being, they want to make an assignment. You take the assignment. If you and, that, and that's the, that and that varies. I mean, I think there. I think a lot of times. 
you know, in the fee, in field work, you're the, you're in the same boat. You know, all they want to do is these three things because they don't. You know, they're they're just trying to document a file. The, right. the case is not worth a lot of money, and, or uh, the, through another through whatever series of circumstances are they they are not willing to invest a lot of time and effort in it. So don't try to sell them the moon. Right. Uh, but when when you end up, and that's that's the advantage when we were talking before we talked, you know, about doing plaintiff work is in a plaintiff case, particularly if you're working for a, a good attorney. Those kinds of suggestions become beneficial to everybody. Right. If you can tell that plaintiff attorney, look, I can tell you, I can give you a list of witnesses, potential witnesses to this thing. Now, it may, again, I may talk to 12 people and none of them had anything to do with this, Mm -hmm. but it's that one guy who can come along and say, oh, yeah, we serve these underage people all the time. That was, in fact, I remember going to a meeting where we talked about serving underage people. Well, I mean, that's a home run. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. But and, you have to, but, but, but the client has to have, you have to be able to inform the client of that. And, 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 the, and, the, and a plaintiff attorney generally is more interested in those kinds of things. How can you, how can you make my case better? Right. Um, and quite frankly, sometimes you can't. I no, mean, and, but here I don't are, know about you, but I mean, I've had more than one case where I've, where I've done the work for the client and I've gone and I've gone to the client and I said, look, you know, we, we, you can, you can spend another 20, 30, 40 hours, however much time you want to spend, I'll tell you nowhere. Right. So, you know, there's, there's no, you have no factual basis on which to, to hang your hat on this case. You know, I'm not an attorney and I don't play one on TV, but <laughs> I've been doing this a long time and I see these three things and none of those things uh, are working your favor in terms of. Trying to trying to benefit your client. Now, one of the things on a Dram Shop Act case that I always uh, recommend to the client is let me do a freedom of information with the local police department for any and all incidences arising at that bar location and oh, yeah. by, by its name and by its address because it might be entered two different ways. And I get the FOI for maybe three or four years back. And, you know, sometimes the police departments, you know, are a little slow. Sometimes they are on time. But mostly I do get what I want back. And when I do get what I get back, what do I get? I get the names of previous managers, previous bartenders, previous uh, bouncers. Why? Because they no longer work there anymore. It's kind of a transient job situation. But two or three years ago, they worked there. And now I have, what do I have? I have somebody that I can go interview that is not uh, a member of the bar, that that bar right now, that I can talk to. uh, And I'm allowed to talk to them because there's no control over them. And I can get about practices and procedures, just like you said. And you'd be surprised that, you know, uh, what you're going to hear from people that no longer owe anything back to that employer who will say about how they, you know, what they, uh, what their serving practices to drunks were during that right. time period. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Were- and, 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 and there are, you know, and that's just one small example of all of the different kinds of things that are out there for you to reap in, to the benefit of your client. Right. So but you have to be willing to look and ask and talk. And that's, again, you go to these, you go to these, uh, to these association meetings and you sit and listen to somebody talking about a particular, particular thing. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes something that you can include in your spiel to your client. Right. To go back to your railroad accident thing. And the, 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 the one story I always tell when I'm talking to people about stuff like this is I went to a, to a NALI conference in, I think it was 1994 and listened to a gentleman talk about railroad accidents. Right. I've never had a railroad accident, but I'm very confident that I could walk into a client's office if they called me on the phone and said, our client just got hit by a train. I can walk in the door and I can say, we need to do these five, six, seven, whatever things. Mm-hmm. And if we need an expert, here is the person to call. Right. That's the sales pitch right there. Do I make money off of that? I make a little, but I, but that, the goal is to get the client the best outcome. And right. if the, and if the, 
But if I don't know anything about it, I have to be able to be willing to say to the client, I don't know, but I've been to these meetings and I've learned various things from various people over the years. So I can give you a kind of a, a, a starting point, a mm-hmm. jumping off point, if you will. Because again, particularly, again, I, I keep coming back to this, John, you and I've been doing this a long time. I mean, that the benefit to having done this a long time is we've seen all these different kinds of cases. I mean, I, I've worked cases involving everything under the sun. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't know everything about it, but I know enough about it to have an articulate discussion about it. And I've also learned at various meetings and, and interactions with other investigators how to go about getting this done and who to call to get this done and who not to call. Yeah. That's, a, that's equally as important, who not to call. So for new new uh, new listener or new investigators or investigators that are just starting their businesses, what you bring to the table from your background is not the end all. It's just the beginning of your knowledge yeah. base. And it's how you begin to learn to do different things and how you uh, are able to uh, be of assistance to the clients. Because uh, I think a lot of uh, investigators who start a business are are really hammers in search of nails. And they don't. They miss out on the fact that there is just so much more out there that they can do. I started out doing insurance fraud investigation. Now I was good at it, and uh, I made a decent living at it. But little did I know that through customer needs, would I learn about how to locate people? Would I learn how to be a better statement taker? Would I learn how to do forensic genealogy? Would I learn how to do criminal defense? And would I learn how to do other uh, aspects of plaintiff's work that I didn't know at the time? Now, if I had only stayed within my the four corners of my expertise and my background, I never would have learned about all these other things that I could do and other ways that I could help my clients. And, and in reality, that, that's what it is. It's not about what so much, um, yeah, it is somewhat of your skill sets and your drive and your, and, uh, and your ability to communicate with the client, but it's also about learning what the client's needs are and what they truly, uh, what, how, what they want is different from what they need. And by teasing out what they need, if anything I could say about this, Bert, this conversation is about teasing out from the client or, you know, the referring investigator, what do they really need? And in that sense, you give them what they need. Sometimes it is exactly what they wanted, but other times it, it can be a much more fulfilling answer. And you've actually done something wonderful for your clients. You've actually helped them w- with what they needed. And, and many times it results in a better paying uh, assignment. And it's oh, not, yeah. and, and it's not that you're trying to always get the better paying assignment. The better paying assignment comes as a result of the, uh, of the wants analysis. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's what, what we're really saying here. Oh yeah. And you can, and, and the, and the, the, I guess the, you don't want to you don't want to force that. No. You don't want to try to talk them into something they don't need because down the road then they begin to see that you know look this guy's just trying to sell me a bill of goods here. Mm-hmm. So you have to really like you say you have to understand what they're trying to do and then give them the opportunity to say these are some things that I can offer you. Take them or leave them because right. if your case isn't worth a lot there's no sense in spending 10 12 15 hours doing this this and this. Mm-hmm. But if you but if the case is worth a lot of money then it is worth it is worth spending the time to do this kind of thing. Uh, so giving them the opportunity, you know, presenting it as an opportunity, a lot of times is, is the better way to do it. And then let them make the decision because sure. again, not only does it work in this particular case, but now the next, the next case where it is worth a lot of money, they're going to, Oh, th- I remember him talking about this, that, or the other thing. So, right. Absolutely. So any other advice for uh, new people starting into the profession, Bert? I know that, uh, you know, we've talked a lot today so far, but is there anything that you feel that, uh, you know, we haven't really talked about that you want to impart? 
You know, I just I think the idea is is that you you definitely need to, the association joining an association is very important from a number of standpoints that we discussed earlier. I think that's a critical thing that you need to, that you need to do. You need to get involved with you know your local paralegal association, your local whatever whatever you are comfortable doing, but you need to be involved in some way with communicating who you are and what you do to other people, and you need to be constantly learning. I mean, I think learning is is of utmost importance in this business. It's an ever changing business, uh, and there are some there are certain things that that have not changed in the 40 years I've been doing this. But there are a lot of things that have, and just being able to adapt to those to those changes are things that you know keep you going. And that's and that's what challenges you every day. Yeah. And learn learning new things. I mean, I get different stuff on my desk every day. A lot, of, you know, some stuff is routine. You know, I do a lot of car accidents. Well, a car accident is a car accident is a car accident. Well, no, it's not. Not really. No. But then, you know, you, you look at things like ladder failures and product liability cases. And, you know, there's always something weird coming coming through the door. Right. Uh, and that's, you know, that that's the opportunity to learn. And, and geez, we have a job where we can learn and we can do different things. Yes. Uh, I, oh, yeah. I, 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 f- I find that uh, my world is different every single day. And, uh, and the stories I can tell at the dinner table at night are always different, never the same. And it's always something unique, something different. Uh, that that is something that I had never done before, or it's a, a twist on something that I have done be, in the past. Uh, you know, and to your point, I think that uh, the uh, the learning is. I, I've heard some from some people at uh, association meetings. Uh, well, you know, uh, I'll know, I know more about that subject than uh, or I've, I've forgotten more about that subject more than, than you know. Right. Than you know. And, and I and the first thing out of my mouth back is, oh, I'm sorry that you have early onset Alzheimer's. You <laughs> know, it's it's a it's a shame that you've forgotten so much. And it's like you know, well, okay. And and you're complaining about why uh, your phone not ringing? Well, maybe it's because, you know, you're, you're an old dog that refuses to learn new tricks. Refuses to learn anything. Yeah. And well, I, you know, and it's, and it's not, it, there, there's still, there's still stuff to be learned. I mean, mm-hmm. oh God, I go, yeah. you know, I go to two or three or four meetings a year and sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I, I've sat in many a meeting where when I walked out of there, I did not bring, I, I didn't learn anything that I will ever use in my business, mm-hmm. but it was an opportunity to, to learn something. Right. And again, it comes back to, if a client calls me and says, Hey, do you know how to do this? And I'm saying, no, I sure don't. I just just sat six months ago and learned, you know, and here's the expert on it. Or, you know, at the end of the conversation, the guy sitting next to me at the at the uh, in the conference said, you know, I've been doing those kind of cases for five years and I learned something new. Well, now that's the guy that I'm going to call and say, here, call this attorney there. You know, mm-hmm. they need this kind of thing. So, I mean, it's, that's and the, and the guy sitting next to you uh, in the uh, in the in the class is somebody you've struck up a conversation with. You now have switched right. cards. And now when you need somebody in Tuscaloosa, there's Tom, Tom from yep. Tuscaloosa, you know, and that's and that happens all the time but you have to be you know and i'm i'm not a uh, a very extroverted person i you know that's i'm, I'm that's not who i am but mm-hmm. i am i, I am a, a somebody who wants to learn and so if i have a you know if i have an opportunity to learn something and if i if i've got an opportunity to sit with somebody at you know at dinner or after you know sitting out on the patio with a cigar mm-hmm. I'm going to learn something there, right? You know, and, and, it, and the, the relationships become more than just professional. You know, you learn about you know what their kids are doing, and you know mm-hmm. how their how how their life is, and you know that that becomes again because we because so much of what we do a lot, a lot of times is very solo and very 
you know, by, by ourselves, mm-hmm. this is another opportunity to kind of get to know somebody who has some similar likes and um, similar hobbies. You know, uh, I've met a lot of people who, you know, have have same kind of hobbies I have. No, I understand. I, I didn't know that. Right. And and this is where you get to know somebody personally and, right. and you get past the uh, the veneer. And, right. and you also know whether they're, you know, what's the saying in, in Texas? All hat, no cattle. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you know whether or not they're just. Uh, you know whether they got what they need. Right. And I, I feel that uh, and t- to give you an example uh, of what you're talking about today, uh, just today, I wrote out a check to a, um, a private investigator firm in Texas uh, for work that they did for me on a case that my client needed help on. I wrote a check out a week ago to Merlin uh, Services out in um, Montana. You know, uh, you were, they, they do a great job at skip tracing. Um, uh, the check that I wrote out for those two people were checks that I was happy to, to write out because of the work that they did on this case for this client. Now, but because I oversaw the investigation and I spent time overseeing the investigation and gathering, having these experts, I'm able to put together a bill uh, for that client that represents uh, a fair uh, amount of money for me uh, to have brought together those two experts to do the uh, work that needed to give them, the client, the, uh, the answers that they needed. I never would have been able to take that job on. If I didn't have those those personal relationships with uh, Mike Dore at Merlin or with that other investigator in Texas, if I didn't, you know, if I didn't know them, if I hadn't met, been in association meetings with them, if I hadn't sat next to them in a class where we talked about these exact issues, right? right. Now I get to put a, uh, I get to put a little premium on a bill out to a client based upon my background uh, and my expertise, knowing that who to use in that situation. But it never would have came about if I hadn't expanded my knowledge base, if I hadn't uh, networked accordingly. So I think that's a good example back to you about exactly what what you're talking about today you know and it was yep. a check i wrote last week and a check i wrote this morning and i'm gonna make and then next week i'll bill it out and i'm gonna make some money on it make some money and you know and did i have to do any heavy lifting no did i have to go out to a bad neighborhood at night no did i have to no but what i ended up doing was just being um the right person to be able to help my client with their wants as opposed to what their needs were. And believe me, the difference between wants and needs in this situation was a great deal. We had to really talk it out what they needed and what they really wanted. So, right. And, that's, anyway. and that is, and that's, that's how that, that's how you build a rapport with the client. And that's how you get that next case from that client. And that's how, and that's the, the guy in Texas, he's going to call you if he needs something. Oh, so sure. though, it, it's, it's a very symbiotic relationship, but you, you have to be able to communicate with the client and that's that becomes the issue sometimes is sometimes the client just says do this and be gone with it but like you say i think developing those that relationship the more you develop the relationship with the client the more you're able to tease out as you said earlier that what what they need to have done so on that note uh, i think anything else bert that you want to share with us and, and who do the uh who do the uh Gators have this weekend? Oh, the, I don't know who the Gators play, man. I'm a Florida oh. State Seminole. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> oh, I just insulted you at the end of our podcast. Yes, you did. Exactly. I apologize, sir. And yeah, how? Florida and State how? Has Syrac- we have Syracuse on tomorrow at the at homecoming. Actually, so we're, okay. we're, we need we need some good wins for the for the rest of the season. We've had a rather uh, rocky start for the last couple seasons after. Uh, after winning the national championship in 2013, we've kind of been on a on a rocky road, kind of rocky slide down the hill. So okay. I'm hoping that we can get things turned around here and headed in the right direction pretty oh. quick. And then 
next week, our next month, basketball season starts. Oh, so. good. Well, go Seminoles. Uh, I'm, uh, I hope you have a nice weekend. Uh, I thank you very much for being on the podcast with me today, Bert. Uh, it's always been fun talking with you, whether it's in an association or on the phone or whatever. It's always been good. Um, also, I want to thank you very much for the nice uh, shout out you gave me on the books that I wrote uh, for coaching uh, private investigators. I do appreciate everything you said there. That was very, very nice that you took the time to read them through and really read them through and then gave me a very, very nice, um, uh, for lack of a better word, testimonial. And I do appreciate that. But I knew that I could get a a straight and honest answer from you, and you did, and I thank you very much for that. So I wanted to say that publicly today. Well, John, I appreciate you having me on. And, you know, and and again, I, I was glad to do that for you. And I think that that you know, those books are, are good foundations for looking at what it is you want to do, who you want to be, if you want to be an investigator. Is this something you want to do, and how do you do it? And it get, like, like, like we discussed earlier, there's various scenarios in that book that allow you to see how you want to construct things and who you want to be. Because this, there, there's, this, is, this is not like opening a McDonald's franchise where no. they give you all this, you know, you do this, this, and this. This, is, this business has so many different components to it, and your personality plays a role in it, and your client's personality plays a role in it, and your experience plays a role in it, and there are many other factors in this. You know, I, I think what you did in your book is kind of get, is kind of lay out a bunch of different ideas and that one can use so that you can get into this thing without you know without getting scared. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate that, and, I, and when you told me that, it made me feel validated uh, that I had um, put together something that was worthwhile. I trusted your um, advice and your opinion a great deal that I had a winner there with them. So I, I thank you so much for that. Sure. Uh, and if you just hang on, uh, I'll, I'll uh, turn off the uh, tape at this point and we'll just chat for a little bit afterwards. Okay. Certainly. Thanks Bert. Yep. Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments on the website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Our guest next week is John Jantunin. John lives with his wife and two sons in Capriole, Ontario. His debut novel, Cypher, was shortlisted for the Kobo Emerging Writer Prize, while his second, A Desolate Splendor, was also an apocalyptic thriller. No Quarter is his third book and was nominated for the 2019 Seamus Award for Best Original Private Eye Paperback. We met at the Seamus Awards in Dallas and had a wonderful time talking shop during the Mystery Writers of America conference. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear other great detective stories, please go to the website and click on our podcast page. There you'll find the backlist. Now, you're probably asking, John, what about your own stories? Do you have any? Sure enough, I do. And they are available to you free as a download right to your inbox. I have eight short stories and eight vignettes in a book titled Mugshots, My Favorite Detective Stories. Now, here's my ask. If you were either informed, inspired, or entertained by the stories today, don't be bashful. Share this link with your friends. Better still, go to the iTunes website and leave a review. It's the best way to grow the circle around our campfire. If you have any questions, please contact me through the website, www.johnhoda.com. J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Thanks so much, and have a great day.